Please stay tuned for important disclosure information at the conclusion of this episode. Welcome to the Investing Insights Podcast from Morningstar. In this week's podcast, we share two dividend stocks our top managers like. We name two wide moat stocks that are worth buying when the price is right. Christopher Inton discusses the pros and cons of ESG investing. And we look back on the shortest market crash in history. Let's get started. Here's what the ultimate stock pickers like about Comcast and Bank of America. Each quarter, we take a look at the recent transactions of some of the top money managers around today, who we call our ultimate stock pickers. Today, we're focusing on the two dividend-paying stocks that are the most widely held among these top managers. 17 of our managers own Comcast. We believe Comcast possesses a wide economic moat, largely resulting from the strength of its core cable business. The majority of U.S. homes today can receive fixed-line internet access service from only two providers, the traditional cable or phone company. Across nearly half of the U.S., that cable company is Comcast. The cost to enter this market is enormous. While technological developments have made it possible to build more efficient and reliable networks than legacy providers possess, deploying these technologies still requires heavy construction spending, while also overcoming the regulatory hurdles that municipalities often impose. With a network that can be upgraded at modest incremental cost, we expect internet access share will continue to shift in Comcast's favor, enabling the firm to gain additional scale efficiencies. The high margins on internet access should offset the decline in the traditional television business, where margins have plunged in recent years. We think Comcast's shares are fairly valued today. 14 of our ultimate stock pickers own Bank of America. We assign Bank of America a wide economic moat rating. Bank of America is the second largest U.S. money center bank by assets and tends to have leading share and operations in many of the areas it competes. It's one of the top deposit gatherers in the U.S. and has top two share in retail mortgages, home equity lines of credit, and small business lending, as well as one of the top corporate franchises in the U.S. The bank also has one of the largest online retail brokerages in Merrill Edge and one of the largest advisor forces through Merrill Lynch Wealth Management. Overall, we believe the bank's key advantage comes from its scale in certain fixed-cost, fixed-platform businesses and the breadth of products it can offer to clients. This contributes to economies of scale and economies of scope and can create switching costs for customers as they use the bank for more and more products. We think shares of Bank of America are fairly valued. Expand your investing horizons and look to the long-term with Morningstar's podcast, The Long View. Join hosts Christine Benz and Jeff Patak as they talk to influential leaders in investing, advice, and personal finance. Search for and subscribe to The Long View today. Now, we explain why Amazon and ServiceNow look increasingly attractive. Growth-oriented technology stocks have sold off in 2021. We think shares of two wide-moat companies look increasingly attractive. First is Amazon, which we think is worth $4,000 per share. Amazon dominates in both e-commerce and public cloud services. Size and scale create selection and low prices, which draw in shoppers, which then draw in more vendors as third-party sellers in a virtuous circle. Amazon Prime offers benefits that make shopping on Amazon properties even more compelling for consumers, while providing recurring cash flow. 
These factors have combined to create the only demand aggregator of substance in the United States. Given its internet presence and the obvious fact that Amazon knows so much about its shoppers, the company's advertising business has grown rapidly. From a retail perspective, we expect continued innovation to help drive further share gains. We also look for continued penetration into categories such as groceries, pharmacy, and luxury goods that have not previously translated into the same level of success as other retail categories. We also see technology advancements in AWS and a bigger push to service enterprise customers. Overall, we see strong revenue and free cash flow growth for years to come. Our second pick is ServiceNow, which we think is worth $573 per share. We think the company benefited from strong demand throughout COVID-19 as service and automation-related solutions became imperatives for companies trying to do business in a new remote reality. We think these trends will persist over the next couple of years as companies accelerate their digital transformation efforts. ServiceNow excels at executing the land and expand strategy, and it continues to leverage its strength and workflow automation to penetrate existing customers more deeply in IT and more broadly with HR and customer service-specific products. Along with just a handful of other companies, we think ServiceNow is rapidly becoming a key partner in digital transformation as shown in retention statistics, which remain at the elite level. Importantly, we are impressed with ServiceNow's excellent balance between strong and highly visible revenue growth and robust and expanding margins. Six days a week, we deliver the latest news for investors. Just say, Alexa, enable the Morningstar skill or visit Morningstar.com Alexa. Next, we have Jake Van Kersen from Morningstar Inc. and Christopher Inton from Morningstar Research Services. In the last few years, there's been a focus on environmental, social, and governance issues when it comes to investing. Is this just because being conscious about ESG issues makes people feel good, or is there actually something more to it? In equity research, we focus on the risks that could arise from ESG factors. Generally, we find that these risks may not currently affect the company, but have meaningful potential to. Building on this, we think of sustainable investing as appropriately taking into account ESG risks when making investment decisions. On the other hand, socially responsible investing, or SRI, considers personal preferences, avoiding industries that might not agree with one's values. Okay, but given that values can be sort of squishy, who decides how to define them? Values-based investing is ultimately up to the investor. We're more focused on the valuation impact. However, we think the broader investor community would be remiss to ignore values completely. While an individual investor might not hold a particular value, they should be aware that some ESG risks can manifest from the values of a larger group. In other words, values among other stakeholders could lead to an economic impact and thus affect equity holders through a lower stock valuation. And why should investors care about their ESG risk? ESG should matter to investors because it identifies potential risks that could affect the stock price. Just like investors who want to know if a company could run into trouble from having too much debt or selling products in a declining industry, it is important for investors to consider ESG risks that could hurt a stock. Okay, given that, can you cite any examples of when an ESG risk 
hurt investors? Chemical companies face risks from environmental damage that can ultimately cost billions of dollars to clean up, such as asbestos lawsuits that left many companies bankrupt. Similarly, beverage companies must continually monitor their water use as they may have to pay higher costs or even stop producing beverages if they use too much water. Any company whose employees are unionized is at risk that their employees will go on strike due to poor working conditions. All of these are ESG risks that could hurt investors. So given all that, how does one take an equity research approach to ESG? For instance, Morningstar's equity research approach focuses on valuation and long-term orientation. Our approach for ESG is about understanding and capturing these risks in our stock recommendations. To do this, we integrate ESG factors in our intrinsic value estimate through our fair value estimate and economic moat rating, as well as our required margin of safety through our uncertainty rating. By identifying and assessing these risks, we can use ESG analysis to better understand company risks and incorporate that into our stock calls today. Thanks, Chris, for helping us understand how ESG is more than just about feeling good. And lastly, here's what we learned about volatility from the coronavirus market crash. Looking at the market today, it might be easy to forget where we were at around this time last year. It was February 2020 that the stock market plummeted. The COVID lockdowns followed. One year later, we're still feeling our way out of this pandemic, but the market has made a full recovery, and then some. Still, the movements of this year reminded us of the pain and uncertainty of market crashes. Are these kinds of drops normal? Was anyone ready for it? What should an investor do now to prepare for the next crash? The global financial crisis and subsequent market crash that ended in 2009 has been described as a black swan, a unique negative event that could not be foreseen because no similar events had occurred in the past. However, if we look at historic data, we can see that there is a long history of market crashes. Financial researcher Larry Siegel came up with a more fitting term, black turkey, an event that is everywhere in the data, it happens all the time, but to which one is willfully blind. Between 1871 and March 2021, we can see 18 black turkeys in the US, which would be market declines of 20% or more. That means a black turkey happens about once every eight years. The pattern is similar in almost all developed markets. Now this isn't to say that anyone could have or should have seen the COVID-19 crash coming. And the good news is that markets have already recovered and gone on to new highs. It was actually the shortest crash in the long history of market crashes. Yet with all market downturns, no one knows how long one will last. It's perfectly natural that right now people feel unsettled. Both because of the reality of a global pandemic and uh, the wild swings in the market that we've seen, and also because of how our minds are wired. When the markets drop 10%, right, and we've seen up and down, but when they go down 10%, it's natural to think that they will continue to go down. And so we worry about that. We worry about what that means for our livelihoods, what it means for our portfolios and our ability to retire comfortably. This volatility may make some investors want to sell out of stocks completely when there is a crash. However, most investors should not make drastic changes. If we look at a U.S. investor who sold out of stocks in 2009 and then reinvested one year later, 
we can see that they ended up with much less return compared to someone who stayed invested. If you encounter market volatility and you expect to need money within the next, say, two to five years, it's probably not too late to reduce your equity allocation. Yes, in a lot of ways, you're locking in losses, but the idea is that you're de-risking that money that you expect to spend soon. On the other hand, for funds that you won't need for a while, say five or 10 years or even more, you probably want to leave those invested in stocks, let more of your portfolio heal and grow for the future. An investor's behavior in volatile markets often works against their long-term plans. What can an investor do to keep their behavior in check? First, we want to externalize our own rules, how we want to respond and how we, uh, what we value in investing. So write out your goals, write out your, your rules. I trade under this price to fair value, et cetera. Second, take that and create a commitment around it. So signing it matters. It makes a personal commitment, signing that statement. Um, you can also make it a social commitment by giving it to your spouse, giving it to your advisor and saying, these are the rules that I want to follow. And then third, we can use that and other techniques to add friction. So setting a, a cool down period before making any major changes, say a, a three day uh, window after which it's okay to make a change, but you, but you have to wait those three days to think clearly about the, about the changes you want to make. Black turkeys are unsettling, but they are an expected part of investing. If you focus on controlling your own behavior, matching your mix of investments to your time horizon, and maintaining a focus on the long term, you can weather the next market crash, ultimately reaching your financial goals. That does it for this week's Investing Insights podcast from Morningstar. We hope you have enjoyed our program and we welcome your feedback. Please send your comments and questions to podcast at Morningstar.com. From everyone here at Morningstar, thanks for listening. This recording is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of Morningstar Inc. and its affiliates. Morningstar and its affiliates are not affiliated with this guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. Morningstar does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered tax advice. Please consult a tax and or financial professional for advice specific to your individual circumstances. Morningstar Research Services, LLC, is a subsidiary of Morningstar, Inc. and is registered with and governed by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. Morningstar Research Services shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decision.